0: We're in chapter 25 today of the story. There are 31 chapters in total, so that means we're getting near the end of the story, right? The the sweet thing is we're right at the climactic part of the story with Jesus Himself walking the earth. And I'm so excited about this part of the story. There's so much to learn, and I hope that you've been following along not only in your reading... We also have given you opportunities to listen to the story online. If you wanted to go to our Facebook page, you can can track everything. There's a a YouTube uh, uh, resource that allows you to listen to the story. But we've also been giving you Bible studies to do, and I hope that you guys have been picking those up. I mean, they're going off the table. Somebody's picking them up, doing something with them. I don't know what you're doing with them, but I hope that you're studying the Bible as we go through it. Uh, Somebody, I think it was Jen uh, Oglesby, made a comment to me this week about how much she enjoyed this week's Bible study, and no wonder she did, because it's about who? Jesus! He's the central figure in all of human history. You guys realize that he separates time. There was a period in the world history before Christ, and then when Christ is born, there's a reset, and now we... We mark all of human history by the time of Jesus and when he lived. So there's something about this man, Jesus, that even, even nations who have had nothing to do with Christianity, per se, even they have to recognize the man's impact and import to the world. We know what that import and what that impact was, don't we? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. I think the most important question you and I have to answer in life is who do you say Jesus is? I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to ask him that question. Who do you say Jesus is? All right, now you get to ask it back to them. Who do you say Jesus is? That is the most important question you can answer in my mind. Everything about the way you live life is determined by the way you answer that question. What you think about Jesus will determine your life here on earth and your destiny to come. How you answer that question, who do I say Jesus is, reveals so much about you and where you're going and what you're doing and how you're doing it. Let's watch this little video. and We'll pick it up. That's a summary of chapter 25. All right, I want you to get your thinking cap on here for just a moment. In a minute, I'm going to give you all kinds of advice about, or evidence about Jesus. And I hope that you're ready to take some notes because uh, I got this little thing. Every time I encounter somebody who says something like this, Jesus never really claimed to be God. I have an eye roll. I can't even stop myself. Say it to me, Sean. Jesus cl- you're not going to even say that. <laughs> Jenny, would you say that to me? Jesus didn't even claim to be God. Oh, you can't. Well, I'm glad, I guess. All right, I'll say it to myself Jesus didn't even claim to be God. I've had kids in my classroom tell me that, and I can't even stop myself. My eyes roll in spite of myself. I read about it on Facebook, I see uh, TV programs, and I can't even stop myself. I roll my eyes at the TV. It's just a ridiculous notion that's going around and has gone around for hundreds. (laughs) of years that Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be, God. Well, he never even said that. Well, we're going to get into this because I want you guys to know that beyond any shadow of a doubt, Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Lord of the universe. Let's, for almost three years, for almost three years, the disciples had been with Jesus. They heard him teach and they marveled at his wisdom and his authority. They watched Jesus perform miracles. They watched Him heal people. They watched Him feed thousands of people with just a handful of food. They watched Him calm storms on the open seas. They watched Him walk on water. They saw Jesus cast out demons. They even watched Jesus raise dead people back to life again. But now Jesus, two and a half years into His ministry... He knew that His time was drawing to an end. He knew that the cross lay just ahead. He knew that He was about to go to the cross in about six months to die for the sins of the entire world. He knew His time with these men was growing short. And Jesus wanted to make sure before that came to pass that these men understood exactly who He is He wanted them to understand why he had been born and what he was about to do for them and all of mankind. So Jesus takes these disciples, these 12 men, on a little mountain getaway to a place up in the mountains high above the Sea of Galilee, about 9,000 feet in elevation actually, higher than even Denver, Colorado. A little place, a little region called Caesarea Philippi. I just like saying it, Caesarea Actually, Caesarea Philippi. Say it with me, Caesarea Philippi. Say it with a southern accent, Caesarea Philippi. (laughs) Thank you. Now, what you need to know about this region around Caesarea Philippi is, (laughs) there were three things that this area was known for. The first thing was this. It was a center of Syrian Baal worship, false, the false god Syria, uh, of, ba- of Syria, Baal. It was a center of worship for this false god. There were at least 14 temples to this false god of Syria, Baal, that were scattered around the Caesarea Philippi region. There, secondly, the second thing you need to know about this area is that there was a cavern in this region that was said to be the birthplace of the Greek god Pan the God of nature. And there was a third thing about this region that you ought to know as we talk about this conversation today. Herod the Great, the Jewish king, had built a temple in Caesarea Philippi and dedicated it to the worship of the Roman Caesar Augustus. So that's the context in which the conversation takes place that we're about to read. It's, it's, that's the context. And I think you need to understand that. This... where where Jesus deliberately and intentionally took his disciples to hold this conversation with them to make sure they knew exactly who he was. As they carried on this dialogue, they were in a place that was crowded with temples dedicated to the worship of false gods, Syrian gods, Greek gods, Roman gods. This was where Jesus had this conversation with his disciples about what they thought about him. This is the setting. This is the backdrop where Jesus forced his disciples to wrestle with the most important question that he had ever asked them. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? In other words, Jesus was asking them, am I really and truly God to you? Or could you just as easily follow one of these other gods here? Am I really the one you worship and obey? Am I really the one you trust for salvation? Am I really the one you trust for forgiveness? Am I really the one you trust to guide you and lead you in difficult times? Or am I really the one you place your confidence in when all the world around you is falling apart? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Do you really trust me? Or could you just as easily pledge your allegiance to any of these other gods? Man, we live in a world that's inundated, saturated with false gods. Who do you say Jesus is in the context in which you live in today? In our reading of the story this week, Jesus posed this question to these disciples in Mark 8, 27 through 29. Let's read it together should be on the screen above my head. It says this, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? Oh, that's, a, that's a legitimate, valid point. Who do people say I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Here he gets personal but what about you? But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Let's pray. God, I love you so much, and I thank you for this word. Oh, Jesus, help me to get myself out of the way. I just want you to speak through me today. There are people in this room that still haven't made up their mind about you. People in this room that are still not convinced in their hearts and minds that You are who You claim to be. The Son of God, the Creator of the universe, the Lord of all. And I pray today, Father, as we spend time in this Word, as we spend time talking about You, that the Spirit of God would bring truth to our hearts and minds, that we would once and for all commit ourselves to this truth. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Help us to place our full confidence in you, Jesus. No longer trusting in the false gods of this age. No longer trusting in the voices of men. No longer even trusting in our own selves, our own opinions. But Father, help us to stake our confidence solely and completely in who you say you are. And then help us to live that out every day. Help us to live by faith, not by sight. Help us to walk according to the truth of God who you really are. Not swayed by the opinions of men. No longer flitting between two opinions, but having once and for all made up our mind. You, Jesus, are our Messiah. You are the one who can save me. You're the one that can sustain me. You're the one who can pull me through. Jesus, help us to make up our mind today that you are who you claim to be. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Who do you say Jesus is? I really believe with all my heart that that's the most important question that you and I can be asked. It's the most important question that's ever been asked. It's a question that every major religion and every humanist philosopher has tried to answer. Jews say that Jesus is an admirable Jew, that He lived according to the law, that He was a great moral teacher, but not in any sense was He the divine Son of God, and not in any sense would a Jew say that Jesus is someone to worship as God. Muslims would say that Jesus is a highly regarded prophet, second only to Muhammad Himself. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this, I believe that most Muslims have a higher view of Jesus than most Christians do. Because at least most Muslims still believe in a virgin birth. Most Christians today don't. But nevertheless, Muslims might say that Jesus is a highly regarded prophet. They may even say, and they would say that he's a great miracle worker. By the way, Muhammad never worked a miracle, but they say that Jesus did. They'll admit that Jesus did. But a Muslim would never say that Jesus is the Son of God, because Allah, in their view, doesn't have sons. And they would certainly never say that Jesus is someone to trust as Savior and as Redeemer. Hindus would say that Jesus is a great teacher, and He's a great moral figure. That he's a man of great compassion and nonviolence, that he's a man that we ought to use as an example of selflessness and love, but they would never, ever say that Jesus is someone to be revered as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Secular humanism, the agnostics and the atheists of our age, would say that Jesus probably didn't even exist. But if he did, and they're willing to concede that he might have, he was simply a man with some great philosophical ideas about how life should be lived, but he's a man that died like all the rest of us will die, and he's not a man to be worshipped. He's a man maybe to be admired, but he's never a man to be worshipped. Christian atheism, and I believe much of the church falls into this category, They say they believe in God, but they live as if He doesn't exist. Christian atheism would say that Jesus did exist, but not as the Son of God, not as a Savior who died to save us from sin, certainly not as an eternally reigning Lord who deserves our grateful allegiance, but He he existed simply as an example of what a good Christian ought to be and do. Those are some of the most popular answers today to the question, who is Jesus to you? In verse 28, the disciples answered that question. When Jesus asked, who do the people say I am? They shared with him some of the the answers that people in their day were giving. They said some people believe you to be Jesus. They believe you to be John the Baptist, reincarnated. John the Baptist come back from the grave to announce the arrival of the Messiah and to call people to repentance. Some people were of the opinion back in that day that Jesus was the second coming of the great prophet Elijah. Remember, he he was caught up in that chariot of fire. Well, they wanted to believe that Jesus was just the second coming of that great prophet Elijah and that God was using him to warn people of a coming day of judgment. Another opinion back in that day was that Jesus was one of the prophets, maybe a prophet like Jeremiah, who had come to restore true worship to the temple in Jerusalem again. And let me tell you something. Those are some pretty lofty opinions of Jesus. Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and Jews, they have lofty opinions of Jesus. Even secular humanists have a lofty opinion of Jesus if they believe He existed. The Jews back in the day of the disciples had a lofty opinion of Jesus. They held Jesus in high regard, seeing Him as one of the prophets. That's the problem with us, guys. We may hold Jesus in high regard, but most of us don't hold Jesus in high enough regard. You get that? We may see Him as a great man, but do we see Him as God? That's the question. Because seeing him as just a man is not enough. You have to see him as God. You have to understand he is God. You have to understand that he has all the attributes of God in order to truly put your trust in him. Many people have a high, lofty opinion of God. They hold Jesus in high regard, but it's just not high enough. But let's be perfectly honest. And we see in this conversation, it's true, that Jesus doesn't really care about public opinion. He doesn't really give a rip what all the other people are saying about Him. He wants to know what you're saying about Him. He wants to know how you see Him. The opinions of other people should mean nothing when it comes to our own personal relationship with God. Let those other people believe what they want to believe about God. The real question is, is here, what do you say about Jesus? What do you say about Jesus? Who do you really say Jesus is? I believe this is the ultimate question of life. The way you and I answer that question will determine our relationship with God. It will determine the, the kind of life we live. It will determine our life's outcomes. As Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, I want you to read this with me, and I want you to stress with me all the words that I've outlined and emboldened there, okay? Let's read this, these couple of verses together, and I want you to say loudly and clearly as we come to them these words. Out loud. The words I've underlined, okay? This is how personal this thing is with Jesus. Read it with me. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith And are saved. Now let me tell you something. That's about as personal as it gets. It doesn't matter what everybody else is saying about Jesus. Jesus could care less. He wants to know what you're saying about him. You get that? You get that? Your relationship with God is determined by the way you answer the question, Who do I say Jesus is? Who do I say? Jesus is the way we answer that question determines so much about our lives it determines our relationship with God it determines our character it determines our conduct it determines our capacity to love ourselves and to love others it determines our courage in the face of difficulties and death this is the most important question in life that we have to answer at some point who do I say Jesus is Who do I say Jesus is? To those who say Jesus was just a great man, or a great moral teacher, or a godly example of how we should live, or even a great prophet. To those who would say that Jesus was just a man, as good as He was, I hold Him in high regard, but I can't see Him as God. I want to right now lay out some evidence that I hope will prove to you, and I hope the Spirit of God will speak to you as I lay this evidence out, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the God of the universe, the God of your life, the God of your heart. I want you to see Jesus as God before we leave this place. I want you to be able to answer that question, who do I say Jesus is? With complete confidence, he is my God. Let me lay out the evidence, five pieces of evidence I want to share with you. Please take this down because I guarantee you, if you're not struggling to answer that question, that Jesus is God, there are people you know who are struggling to answer that question. They just have a hard time seeing Jesus is God. Here we go, evidence. Ever been to a courtroom before? Some of you have been on the right side of the desk, that's good. Some of you have been on the wrong side of the desk, I understand that. But you know what evidence is, right? You got to make up your mind based on the evidence about what's really true, right? Here's the evidence that Jesus is God right here. And there's so much more than this. I'm just going to lay some of this out, okay? The first piece of evidence I want you to consider this morning is that Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. As a matter of fact, this was... His favorite way of describing Himself, Jesus calls Himself the Son of Man 80 times in the Gospels. Another two times the phrase is used, Son of Man, but it's, uh, it's someone else looking at Jesus and calling Him Son of Man. So 82 times in total this phrase is used about Jesus, Son of Man. For instance, in, Ma- in Matthew 8.20, Jesus replied to a question, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place To lay his head. In Mark 8.31, the verse reads, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. So we see him use that term, term, Son of Man, about himself. In Mark 13.26, it says, At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now, if you don't know the context in which that term is used, you might just skip over it. And thinking that Jesus was just referring to Himself as a man of flesh. A man with a body. And that's cool, but that's not the full meaning of that term. The term Son of Man originates in the book of Daniel, back in the Old Testament, it's a term that's used to describe the coming Messiah promised by God who would save the world and establish the kingdom of God here upon the earth. For instance, in Daniel 7.13, Daniel writes and says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Look, every time, all oh, 80 times when Jesus used this phrase about Himself, He was driving home his claim to be no ordinary man. He was driving home his claim that he was God himself in the flesh. Max Lucado says this. Every time Jesus uh, used the phrase son of man, he crowned himself. The Jews in the day knew exactly what he was talking about. That's why the religious leaders hated him so much. And that's why they accused him of blasphemy. And that's why they surrounded him and wanted to kill him because they knew exactly what he was saying. He was claiming to be the Messiah, the promised one, sent by God to save the world and establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. So don't throw that. Don't make me roll my eyes. Please. Not only did Jesus call himself the Son of Man, a messianic term, He also used I am statements about Himself. There are seven of these statements in the book of John alone. Jesus used these I am statements. He said things like this in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. John 8.58 says, Before Abraham was, I am. Every time... Jesus made an I am statement like that. He equated himself with God. Make no mistake about it. That was the context. And everyone who heard him speak those words knew exactly what he was saying. I am. I am. I am. If you remember in Exodus uh, chapter 3, verse 14... God identified Himself to Moses this way. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Come on, y'all. Don't make me roll my eyes. Make no mistake about it. Every time Jesus used one of these I am statements, he is staking out his identity as God. Almighty God. The third piece of evidence I want to throw out to you here is this. Jesus made claims that only God himself could make. Jesus made claims that only God himself could make. For instance, in Mark chapter 13 31, he talks about the words he speaks as being eternally true. Now what human being who is a regular man makes those kinds of statements? Every word that comes from my mouth will be here forever and they will be true forever. Listen, heaven and earth will pass away, he said, but my words will never pass away. What? You're an obscure carpenter in a a place that nobody's ever heard of before. How would you dare to believe that the words coming from your mouth will mean anything after you're dead? But yet that's exactly what he said. That's a claim that only God could make unless he was a lunatic or a liar. Luke 4, 8, Jesus says that he had the power to forgive sins. It says, Then Jesus said to her, the woman caught in adultery, your sins are forgiven. Man, can you imagine a regular human being thinking that he had the authority to forgive your sins? Oh, go and sin no more. Well, who are you? And why should I care if you think that I oh. But yet Jesus claimed to have that authority to forgive sins. In Matthew 28:19, Jesus made another claim that only God can make. He said that he had all authority. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a claim only God could make. Does anyone in this room believe that you have all authority in heaven and earth? No. That's not a claim a sane person makes. And yet he did. He made that claim. Well, those are some pretty heady claims. Equating himself with God. Basically, calling himself God, and then basically saying, I can do anything God can do. But yet, then, the fourth piece of evidence I want to throw out there is this He backs it all up. He backs it all up. Jesus backed up His claims to be God. We see that in His miracles. The Gospels record at least 37 different miracles to Jesus. He healed the sick. He made blind eyes see. Deaf ears hear. Lame men dance. He fed thousands with nearly nothing. Jesus calmed storms with a simple command, and He walked on water. Jesus cast out demons, and Jesus raised dead people back to life again. He performed so many miracles... He performed so many miracles and did so many wonderful things that John closes his gospel and says in John twenty one thirty five, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. We just have a synopsis of what Jesus did in these three and a half years of ministry. but he backed up his claim to be God by demonstrating his power and authority over everything in his creation. Whether it was nature, storms, whether it was a human body, physical healings, whether it was the supernatural world casting out demons, Jesus proved he was who he claimed to be, the God of the universe, with all power and all authority in his hands. He proved it and backed up his claims and his teaching Matthew 7, 28-29, it says, and it says this a number of times, sprinkled all throughout the Gospels, the crowds were amazed at His teaching because He taught as one who had authority. You see, Jesus didn't quote other rabbis to validate what He was saying. Jesus taught as one who knew the mind of God. He spoke with the very authority of God Himself. And let me tell you something. The supernatural power of His teaching continues to reverberate down through the ages. How many of you have had your own lives turned upside down and inside out by the powerful, authoritative teachings of Jesus Christ? You yourself have experienced the power of the teaching. 2,000 years ago, it still has effect. This was no ordinary man. This was no ordinary man. He turned the entire world upside down with his teaching. But then, the coup d'état, the peace, the the resistance. Say that with a southern accent. The resurrection. Oh man, the resurrection is the cherry on top of the Sunday man. It's the resurrection. That, that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is who He claims to be, God Himself. Romans 1.4 says, And He was shown, Jesus was shown to be the Son of God when He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're going to talk about the resurrection in a couple of weeks. I think, Chris, are you preaching on that one? The resurrection furnishes the most conclusive the most irrefutable evidence that Jesus is who he claims to be, the Son of God. Listen, Get this, man. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to die. Listen, Jesus wasn't murdered. He laid his life down. Don't ever, don't ever think his life was taken from him. Oh, no, no, no. He laid it down as a sacrifice. And he told them in three days, I'll pick it up again. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Now, I could stand up here all day and tell you, if somebody were to walk in that door, put a bullet between my my eyes, and I were to die, I'm going to be alive in three days. What would you do? (laughs) Right, that's what I do too. He said it, promised it would happen. Just as he said. Uh, Man, I'm telling you, that is the the cherry on top of that Sunday. Jesus kept his promise. And beyond any shadow of a doubt, Jesus proved himself to be God when he was raised again on that third day because that's a promise only God can make. It's a promise that only God can keep. The resurrection is Christ's amen to all the claims he ever made about being God. It's his amen to those claims. Let me come to a fifth piece of evidence I want to throw out on the table and I want you to consider as we draw close to the end. Those who knew Jesus best believed him to be God. Those who knew Jesus best believed that he was who he claimed to be. You see, for three years or more, these disciples followed Jesus. They were with Him day in, day out. 24-7. Unless He separated Himself to spend time alone with the Lord, they walked with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They watched Him. They heard Him. They left their homes. They left their businesses behind in order to be with Him. They they tethered their lives to Him. And they placed all of their trust and all of their hope in Him. And when the chips were down, they took Him at His word. And we see it in their stories. As we read through the remainder of the New Testament, you're going to come across some of the things that these men and women endured for the sake of Christ Jesus. And I hope they inspire you. And I hope that when you look at their testimonies, you will wonder, do I have that same kind of faith in Christ? Do I see Him as the Lord and the God of my life like they did? But let's pull back a little bit. I just want to point out to you quickly how they expressed their belief in Jesus as the Messiah, as their God. First of all, they worshipped Him as God. They worshipped Him. The men and women that knew Him best worshipped Him as God. In Mark 8.29, it says, Peter answered, you are the Messiah. We read that just a few minutes ago. Messiah is a Hebrew term that means the anointed one. The Greek term that we often use is Christ. It's a term used by the prophets about a Savior who would come to rescue God's people and establish the kingdom of God upon the earth. It was a term that could only be used by the one they believed to be God in the flesh. Peter, old Peter, the one who would stick his foot in his mouth over and over again. When put to the test, Peter passed, and he said, you're the Messiah. The other people... They say all these crazy things about you, but I know who you are. And in the other uh, recording of this conversation in the book of Matthew, I think it is, Peter goes on to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you didn't come up with that on your own. That was revealed to you by the Father. They worship him as God. Peter knew who he was. John 20, 28, after the resurrection. Thomas missed the disciples' first encounter with Jesus when He appeared to them in that closed room. Thomas didn't believe that He had actually appeared to them. And so he said, I will not believe until I see the wounds in His hands, in His feet, and in His side. But then when Jesus suddenly appeared and showed Him the wounds, what was Thomas's response? Oh, dude, you're just some kind of ghost. Ah, no. What did he, say? he fell at his feet. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas worshiped him from that moment on as the God of his life. Listen, I want you to see something here too. I want to point this out to you. Jesus received his worship. You get that? Jesus received His worship. If Jesus wasn't God, he would have said, Oh, stand up, I'm just an angel. Stand up, I'm just a spirit. Just stand up. I'm just a man like you. No, no, no. Jesus embraced the worship that Thomas extended to him. Yet more evidence that he is who he claims to be and that he was claiming to be God. You get that? Then in James chapter 2, now I don't know about you, I have a brother. His name is Tim. He's a year younger than me. And if I were claiming to be God, the very last one to believe that I was God would be my brother. (laughs) Because my brother and I, you know, he knows where I've been, what I've done, that kind of thing. Come on. Well, guess what? The Bible tells us, this is one thing I love about the New Testament record, it tells us the whole truth, nothing but the truth. In the Bible record, the brother of Jesus, a man named James, didn't believe Jesus was God, was skeptical throughout Jesus' ministry until the resurrection. And when James encountered the risen Jesus, James began to worship Jesus as God, and he makes a statement in chapter 2, and he says, my brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. I would know beyond a shadow of a doubt. If my brother ever turned around and came to the conclusion that I was God, I would, you know, I'm like, well, maybe it's true then. I mean, because he's the last guy I'd expect to say that. But here we have James, the brother of Jesus, saying, no, he is who he claims to be. He's the one I serve. He's the one I worship. He's the one I give my life for. So we see these men that knew Him best, these women that knew Him best, they worshipped Him as God. Secondly, we know that they believed He was God because they lived and they died for Him as God. They lived and they died for Him as God. The book of Acts and other New Testament books will tell the story of these disciples and the extraordinary hardships they endured to carry the Gospel of Christ to the whole world. You're going to read stories about beatings and imprisonment and shipwrecks and starvation and humiliation. You're going to read stories of sufferings of all kinds. You're going to read stories about how even some of them became martyrs, laid down their lives for the sake of their Lord. But they never recanted their belief and who he was, and who he claimed to be, God. None of them. The ones that knew him best gave their lives, literally gave their lives to him and for him as God. You get that? Now, I don't know about you. I don't know many people that would give their life to a lie, would give their life for a lie. It's because it's not a lie. He's God. He's God. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? That's who they said Jesus was. And their lives backed it up. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? A good man, great teacher? That's awesome. I'm glad you hold him in such high regard, but it's not high enough. It's not high enough. He's God. He's Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. You get that? He's Lord of all, or He's not Lord at all. These disciples, these men and women who lived and died for Jesus as God, I think along with Paul, they would hold this to be their testimony. For this reason, I also suffer these things, these hardships, these struggles, this adversity, this persecution, these these humiliations. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nonetheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He's able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. Will that be your testimony too when it's all said and done? Will you be able to say, I don't care what the world has done to me, said to me, that stuff won't matter because I know the one in whom I place my trust and He is my God and my King and I will not back down. I will not let go of my confidence in Him, who He is, my God, my Messiah. See, that's the most important question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Major religions and popular opinion hold Him out to be a pretty good guy who had lots of good things to say and lived His as a good example to follow. But was Jesus God? They would say, no. No. You see, because if, 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 if they really believe Jesus was God, they take him a lot more seriously than they do. Right? If they really believe Jesus was God, they live a lot more differently than they do. Is that not right? But frankly, I'm not asking you about what other people believe. Neither is the Lord. I believe that what the Lord is asking you today when it comes to what you believe is this, who do you say Jesus is? That's the only opinion that matters. He claims to be God. He claims to be the Lord of all. The Bible says that there's going to come a day where every knee bow and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. And I would tell you, don't wait for that day. Bow your knee today and acknowledge Him as the Lord of your life, the God of glory. He's backed His claim up with evidence, miracles, teachings. His closest followers said that He is who He claimed to be. And I cannot close this message out with quoting one of the greatest authors of the 20th century. And I want you to carefully consider what he has to say today. C.S. Lewis wrote this in his great book, Mere Christianity. Has everybody read that book? If you haven't, you need to. Mere Christianity. I'll buy you a copy if you'll read it. Who wants a copy? I'll buy you a copy. Come talk to me after service. C.S. Lewis says this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. You must make your choice. No one can make this choice for you. No one. This is your choice. You must make your choice. you got to make up your mind. you got to make up your mind. You see, I'm convinced that some of you have had an experience with Jesus, but only in terms of His great moral teaching. You haven't yet trusted Him as Savior. I am convinced that some of you are still struggling with life-controlling issues because you don't see Him as Lord. Hear me? I am convinced that some of you are living in fear because you don't see Him as God. You haven't made up your mind. You think you have. You think you have. But you're not yet convinced in your mind and heart that Jesus is who He claimed to be your Messiah, your Savior, your Deliverer, your God, your Lord. And I'm telling you, you've got to make up your mind. You have got to answer that question. Who do you say Jesus is? You've got to answer it correctly in order to experience the full power and authority that will come in your direction if you do. You get that? You have to make your choice. You have to make your choice. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Band, come up. We're going to worship Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus. I'm not going to pull any... I'm not going to emotionally manipulate anybody. I want you guys to come to a decision in your life that Jesus is who He claims to be. This Jesus we read about in this New Testament. He's got to take His rightful place in our hearts and lives if 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 we're going to permit Him to do what He wants to do in us and through us. He's not a partial Savior. He's not a part-time God. He is who He claims to be, and we must embrace Him as such. We have to make a choice. We have to come to a place of decision. Putting our entire lives in His hand, leaning all of our weight upon Him as God, the God of our lives, the Lord of our hearts, the Savior of our souls. I don't want any more part-time believers in this place. If you have named the name of Jesus, if you have identified yourself as a believer in Christ Jesus, then own up and sell out. Take Him as He is, not as you would have Him. Take Him for who He claims to be. The God of your life, the Lord of your heart, the Savior of your soul the Messiah. The one who has come to establish the kingdom of God and its rule in your heart, in your home, in your community, in this world. Man, if He is who He claims to be, and I believe He is, and if you believe that He is God, as He claims to be, then let me tell you something. I believe there are all kinds of applications and outcomes and implications for our lives. If, If I believe Jesus is God, then that means He deserves my highest respect. That means He deserves my lifelong allegiance. That means He deserves my wholehearted obedience. If I believe Jesus is God, as He claims to be, then that means I can take His promises as certain and true. And if I believe that Jesus is God as He claims to be, then that means I can surrender my life to Him, and I can trust Him to forgive me and set me free. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me, if he's speaking as God as he claims to be, I better take him at his word. I better take him at his word. He's not a liar, and he's certainly not a lunatic. He needs to be Lord in my life. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? No one can answer that question for you. No one. It's the most personal question. The most powerful question. The most important question. And only you can answer it. Who do you say Jesus is. And I want you to ponder that question and think about it. I want you to meditate on it. I want you to think about the implications of your answer to that question. As we spend the next few minutes in worship, the altars are open. If you want someone to pray with you, hey, feel free to tap somebody on the shoulder, one of the leaders in the church, and we'll come and we'll pray with you. But there's no emotional manipulation here. This is simply between you And God, as the Holy Spirit moves in your heart and life to reveal His truth to you, who is Jesus to you?